0: Todd Jarrett, I really appreciate you being here, man. I know you've been through a lot over the last year or two, right? And the fact that you even made time to do this, I'm very grateful for, because I know you got a flight to catch after this. So one, thank you. Number two, I guess that's where I wanted to start because I'm not as engaged in social media as some of the people that follow you or in general. And so I don't, I know you had a near death experience. Okay, And I know when any time that happens in someone's life, they go through a complete transformation. And so I, I want to start kind of how that happens mm-hmm. and how you came through that and what exactly happened. Because I know it was, well, I'll let you explain it.
1: Where do you want to start? How far back?
0: Okay. <laughs> um, let's explain. Let's start off with fast forwarding a little bit. How did you nearly die?
1: In the the hospital. Yeah, so basically the condition that the surgeons and the doctors have given me is ulcerative colitis. So it's an Mm -hmm. autoimmune condition. And the symptoms had flared up like 18 months before. And I just had that mentality very much like sort of one of our mentors, Christian, just push, 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 go, go, go. And and I just kept pushing through the, the symptoms for this extended period. And I went into hospital the first time in June and end of June. uh, 2018, 2019? uh, 2019. I'd been in hospital a few times before, Before plenty of times through this whole process, but that's when it was getting worse. And then they'd given me some medication and it's been a bit of a roller coaster with the medication having sensitivities and reactions and that's a whole nother story. But for for how I ended up in hospital, the the second time in that near-death experience was basically they gave me medication and said, you'll get better on this. And I didn't, and I just kept getting worse. And uh, I was... I went away in isolation for 10 days uh, up north in, in Queensland. This was before I went to any meditation courses or anything like that. Came home to see family for, I think it was around five days to a week. And I was down here and literally tried to contact my specialist, my gastroenterologist to say, look, I can't get out of bed, I can't walk, I can't eat food because I, I'm literally in so much pain. I couldn't bend down and pick something up. I couldn't pick up the bags. I couldn't play with my niece and nephew. I just said, this is the state I'm in. And my gastro basically, like I couldn't get onto him. So we emailed in and they said, if you can get on a plane, get on a plane and get into emergency on the Sunshine Coast as quick as you get back. So as soon as I did, I I went in and basically they did uh, uh, put me through a colonoscopy first to assess what was going on. But as soon as they, as soon as they went in, basically the analogy I give to people without going into the science is imagine like a loaf of bread and someone's trying to poke their finger through from one end to the other and that's kind of like what a normal intestinal wall would be like or what your normal gut is like for mine it was like having one slice of bread and just poking your finger through the center of that so i had a very my because my gut was so broken down uh and so raw and ulcerated pretty much through i had stage three pancolitis which is the worst you can have of, of this kind of condition and basically they said if you do anything incorrectly if you you Uh, brace your stomach a little bit too hard if you bend over and twist a little bit too much and you rupture your bowel like then you go into sepsis but it wasn't just basically what they said is if someone a lot of people get sepsis which is the infection of the, the feces through the blood and things like that but because I was so severe the whole way around the large intestine it wouldn't just be like one small burst it could be like a really major area and that's when they said basically the surgeons and the doctors came in, or the gastroenterologist uh, surgeon that I was speaking with came in and literally as blunt as you could be, uh, I had a family friend next to me on my left and mum was on speakerphone. And he walked in and said, look, this is what's happening. You've got stage three pain colitis. Uh, if you do this, you're going to, uh, if you don't respond to the medication, you're going to lose your colon, you're going to lose your bowel. And if things get worse, you'll get septus and then we're at that risk of, of death. Uh, and whether or not i physically could have died in that let's say that that next 24 to 48 hours um physiologically or not was like beside the fact of where i was mentally because he literally just came in and said you'll either use, lose your colon or you're going to die like it was one of those two and it was in that time like i went into a state of shock and i actually needed to see the psychiatrist in the hospital they needed to bring one in because i'd basically said that, for me to even just lose my colon, lose my bowel as like option B um, was like, I had that written as like a 9 out of, like a 9.9 out of 10. 10 is death. And that's where I was at. I was like, I've either got two options here. I'm either going to die or I'm going to lose my, my colon, my, my bowel. And that's where I was at mentally. I was just a, an absolute mess. Mum obviously was on the first plane up because we didn't know if I was going to make it or not. My dad and my one of my sisters flew up the next day. Um, and they were all in the same sort of state of mind. And I, I literally said to mum when she got up and it might've been after my sister and my dad had, had flown back down, they were up for maybe like four, three or four days. And when they left, I said, because one of my, my eldest sister couldn't make it up because she's got a, the niece and nephew and they couldn't all fly at once. And that was really tough. And I actually said to mum, I honestly think that was the best thing to happen because if they came up, I almost would have like accepted my whole family said goodbye to me. And I would have been in that mental space of like almost if you've heard of if those listeners have heard of uh, Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. And he talks about like the will to live if you've got a why. To me, it was kind of like that point where if my whole family had come and said like, hey, we're here, we love you i almost would have accepted hey i've seen them if i need to go i go Mm. but because i didn't get to see chloe and and jack and isla my niece and nephew it was almost like i still needed to see people so it kept me going Um, so that's where i was at mentally and for the next two or three days that's where mum and i were at we were were at that stage together um, of you could make it you couldn't who knows and the, the issue with the medical system and this is part of my journey now is that Unfortunately that in the hospital and in the medical system, it's so much about um, getting the, the medication across. And a lot of that is based on fear. Um, what we're going through right now, the whole coronavirus thing, like I don't watch the news or listen to the radio because I know what it's about and, and what goes on. And you'd be the same in, in how much of it's fear mongering and, and scaring people. Uh, that they literally have put so much fear in me that I'm still scared now. Um, that's, and I was only going through this psychologically the other day with a, a friend of mine, we were discussing sort of deeper down what it would take for me to fully let go of this condition and just disidentify from it altogether and I said like the one thing that's still got me is the fact that the doctors have said if you don't continue with this medication like this is what's going to happen these are what you're going to experience and, and when they spoke to me about like the near death experience that's something that it's hard to let go of Because, like, it becomes a part of your identity. Like, that's, as you said, it's a transformational part of someone's life. Mm. So, for me to let go of that is is really tough.
0: Yeah. (sighs) Okay. When you got told by the... Because when you went off, that's... Thank you for explaining that. Um, Because I'm sure you've had to explain that to quite a few people. So, I wonder if it gets a bit repetitive or frustrating in some small ways. But... When, I'm curious, when the doctor told you that news, quite bluntly, mm. I mean, you already were in a painful, emotional, fragile state. Yeah. When that news hits, where do you go? What, what goes on in here?
1: First thing that came to mind was like, one was family. Yeah. And this is kind of where the transformation, you know, you know how we talk about like that crisis in life leads to a transformation. It was like a moment that I had a transformation because as soon as he said that, like the first thing that came to mind was, my family aren't here yeah. if i die and i don't see my family like that was the first thing that came to mind and then the second thing was and this is where i used to be so driven on career was like i'm not ready to go yet I, I haven't achieved what i wanted to achieve um but in in saying that i'll sort of a a bit of a side point with that or a caveat add-on was that with port douglas when i weigh and we'll probably chat about that i dare say sometime during the podcast because that's actually the most influential time i've ever had I only went away to Port Douglas in that isolation pro two, three weeks before. And if I hadn't gone to Port Douglas that two to three weeks before, if the doctor said to me, you might die in the next 24 to 48 hours, I literally would have been, I honestly think I would have been a mental case, like ended up in a psychiatric ward. But because, and I said this to, to my family afterwards, because I had that time and I actually got to experience what life really was and what mattered in that time away, um, I said that, hey, if I do go, I'm ready to. Like I know I've actually experienced life because before that two weeks, like two weeks beforehand, if I hadn't been to Port Douglas, I hadn't.
0: What happened? I have no idea. What happened to Port Douglas? Yeah, so... And where is that for those who don't know?
1: Uh, Port Douglas is about an hour north of Cairns. It's a, a beautiful coastal town, you would say. And a lot. it's very touristy. But basically, I was this is kind of where the context comes into it with the story and everything that happened so I had a a bout of this colitis in 2016 and that's when I was interning back at Woodford funnily enough really yeah so Hmm. uh, and there was a couple of coaches that had been through autoimmune conditions and, and things like that during the the same period and they were they were sort of helping me and guiding me through and I ended up in hospital for two weeks then but they just told me in that time that what you're dealing with is just an acute bout, it's gone. So for two years, I was normal. Ate how I used to eat, slept how I used to sleep terribly, like didn't sleep enough, work my butt off, so on and so forth. And then in the end of, towards the end of 2018, it was September 2018, I was teaching at uni, running the mentorship programs, coaching the athletes and doing online consulting, uh, plus um, trying to balance in life, so to speak, and, and train. The symptoms started coming back. And, and basically what happened was my health gradually got worse uh, and I was trying to improve my health and obviously grow the business because that's where my focus ended up going into was TJT, what we were doing. I stepped back from training athletes, stepped back from uh, the consulting, stepped back from teaching at uni and just went all in on TJT. And so when you go into that step, so to speak, you go to one stream of income and one focus. And I was trying to, to work on that with all of my attention but trying to manage my health at the same time and my health was going down and because my health was going down i was investing more time into that which meant i couldn't put the time mm. i wanted into the business and that just becomes a vicious stress. cycle. because yeah then you're not getting the results you want with the business mm. and and it was just going down and down so uh, when i went into hospital the first time last year in 2019 in the end of june I'd been into hospital a few times before that. Like I've had so many general anesthetics over the last two years. It's like, it's probably 10 to 12, I would say, which is pretty full on for a lot of people uh, and how it affects the body. Mm. But uh, in in June, when that first hospital stay occurred, I said to the guys that I was, I had assistants under me and, and things like that. I said, I need you guys to run the program and I'm going to just take time to recover and heal my body and I was doing that but I was still living on the sunny coast and I was in a a tricky spot moving between houses with my previous partner and and uh, still being on the sunny coast because you're in the environment that you're so programmed and so conditioned to be focused toward which is sunny coast for me is like that's where I get shit done Mm. that's where I work hard that's where I chase my goals and my dreams and so on and so forth I'd wake up every morning and because I'm not going to work or I'm not working I'm sleeping i'm meditating i'm relaxing and recovering what i need to do to allow my body to re- recuperate i had this worry this stress this guilt because everyone else that i know is going to work they're going they're and going ch- hard yeah they're chasing their dreams they're making progress and i'm, yep. like, I'm over here laying around yeah and when you've been someone that's only ever worked your ass off mm. to this point where like no you've got to slow down i was like mentally getting worse getting stressed so mum was actually up around that time and she said you need to get away and i said well like i want to so we worked it out and basically I, I flew up to to port douglas had an airbnb there for for 10 days and it was out in the bush so it was on the back of the the daintree rainforest on a farm and you could see the ocean so it had like the forest the farm and the ocean and it was completely it was a like a four bedroom place or something like that huge and it had a, a immersion pool like a um not, a, not an ice pool, but the same kind of size. And uh, and it had a, like a, a bath and, and view out into the, the forest. And basically I landed in Port Douglas, I landed in Cairns, caught up with a, a friend of mine, a f- uh, family friend that I grew up with. She's a WBFF pro, um, Cat Roberto. She's an incredible, incredible human. I left my phone, I left my watch, I left my laptop, my books, my journals, everything, uh-huh. and I just drove. Like, I just drove out to the Airbnb. Got by there. yourself or with her? No, by myself. She lent me her car. Okay. Drove out there, and I was literally just by myself. It was, I think, the fourth day of isolation um, that she actually drove out in the evening. I didn't know she was coming, but she'd been on the phone to mum and my sister who were freaking out because they hadn't heard from you me. You didn't tell them. Well, they knew I was going away. But they just were worried because I'd I'd said, Look, I'm leaving my phone and, and so on and so forth okay. here so I'm not contactable. Yeah. But I think they were just worried and they wanted to make sure I was still all right. Sure. And I because in that time my previous partner and I had split up just before I'd I'd left. So maybe they were thinking, Oh, he could be mentally worried, like he could be really emotional, hoping he's safe. Like they could have thought he's
0: This is Maddie? Yes. Okay. Yeah,
1: yeah. So um, We'd split up the day that I left to go to to Port Douglas. I made that decision that I needed to for my health and and my journey. Uh, And she was incredible through the whole process. And she, in the end, it was pretty rough for me because I was so sick and so unable to do things. She basically became my carer.
0: I'm curious, was that a, what made you want to let go of that relationship? Because that's such a huge support network, but you can also feel guilty for almost feeling like that person's a burden on you yeah is that what was going through it or was something else well
1: like i felt like i was a burden yeah that's sorry, that, what i meant yes, yes yeah absolutely and that's one of the biggest things but then it was also like that was a story i was telling myself yes so when i dug down into the un- unconscious which is a part of the time in port douglas was um i realized that there were things that weren't aligning with us in in values that i had and okay. where i wanted to go and, and what we were wanting to do in different ways and the person that i wanted to be so that's in the end that's what the decision really came down to um unconsciously but I was consciously saying no it's because I'm a burden I don't want i mad to need to live this life of being like my carer I want you to go and live your life it's like you needed happy. an
0: excuse in a, to get out
1: because I was scared of the pain right and that's going Man. through this process the so tricks now. we play on ourselves yeah exactly we want to tell ourselves a story to avoid the yes. pain protect ourselves yeah so oh, so true. they would have been worried that Oh, he's up there by himself. He's going to be emotional. So Kat came out on like the the evening of the fourth day and was just like, I just need to make sure you're alive and you're all right. I was like, I'm good. Like, I'm the best I've ever been Um, because I I hadn't read a thing. I hadn't been on my phone. You're talking to nobody. No So it's
0: almost like a silent retreat meditation.
1: Yeah, it was. And this is before I went and did the silent retreats. Right. So... I didn't even have a woman. watch. The funny thing is, oh, I was cool. I was trying to work out the time according to the, the sun, sun. <laughs> on, and I sucked. I was so
0: far off. But how did you double check if you didn't have a...
1: <laughs> on, on like the sixth day, I went into town to get my journal yeah. and a book. Uh, that's what I went in to get from Kat and I told Kat, hey, I'll be in at one. And I was... Judging off the sun, uh, <laughs> and I got into town. I was like, I was like, yeah, it's probably one. I was like four o'clock.
0: <laughs> what did you? What did she do? She wasn't there. Of course. She her, she, Holy her and her, shit! That's so and her partner so had gone funny. out to like an island on the on the boat. They're and waiting for you. You yeah. like uh, three hours later.
1: Yeah. So, I got. I ended up getting my journal And my book, and and uh, and that's what I did for the remaining. I think it was the remaining like five days. Was, uh, I journaled and I read, and I. Uh, I actually watched, there was, a, there was a TV. I hadn't used it for the first like six days. But the final four days, i used Netflix to watch some movies. Mm-hmm. Um, because what I found was that over the years, and this is actually a part of my transformation, was that, you know how we talk about like being switched on and switched off? Mm-hmm. I was always switched on. Exactly. But for me to switch off was like, oh, watch a uh, YouTube video on training. Yes. Or on nutrition. You're fucking not switching on. Yeah. yeah. Oh, switching off. Yeah, yeah, You're exactly. tricking yourself. Yeah, a podcast or reading a book to learn. And oh. I was like, no, this feeds my soul. Like, this is the best. <laughs> I'm switching off. But what I found was I was wow. physically switching off, but cognitively not at all. And what was happening was even when I was up there and I was, once I started reading and journaling, I thought they were switch offs. But I could actually, by then, because I had enough time those four days prior of doing nothing, I was like, I feel like I'm getting stressed again doing these, and that's when I realized the journey, the journaling, and the reading, weren't resting me and like giving me what I needed parasympathetically.
0: You know what it sounds like? It sounds like you became a slave to your own habits and productivity. Yeah, and that was creating this neurotic feedback loop of stress and inflammation. Yeah. Yeah. You're smiling, so it sounds like you've been you've had this self-talk.
1: Yeah. Oh man, it's it's been an incredible journey. So yeah port douglas was i think it was the, the first four days where i did absolutely nothing like and then, i just meditated and sat and yeah w- like because there was so much wildlife around Did you walk around well i was in a physical state where i couldn't walk more than like 200 meters a day wow. i was very sick i tried to go for a walk up the uh there's a hill behind us so it was probably a 2k walk in total like 1k up 1k back and i got to the top and i had to lay down and like i had pretty bad bowel issues going on at that time so i was passing like i was literally in the trees just passing blood and mucus all over the.
0: are you the concerned mess. at this point that it, something could go wrong while you're there by yourself no no that, that's the thing like i was so
1: blind i was in denial and this ah. is where the psychiatrist came in when i was in hospital because i explained what's going on and why the the bet, like the losing my colon losing my bowel is a 9.9 and death is a 10 and He's like, you've been You in said denial. that or she said that? No, the, the psychiatrist, he said that. He said that. Yeah, so he was like, this is so bad for you because you've been in denial for so long. And that came down to the fact that I didn't want to accept uh, what it was because that would deter me from my journey and where I was going and my dreams and aspirations. I was like, no, no, just push it to the side, keep going, work hard. So, yeah, Port Douglas was transformational because it was the first time I actually stepped away from who I was and... I had I went through two journals, like three pens, in in those those six
0: on the few. day five six and onwards. Yeah, but you said though you commented saying that kind of stressed you out. Is that about that?
1: Yes, yeah. But what I found was that I needed to go through and dig. Yeah, you to have going. realizations because I knew that at this point, where I was in hos, just before I'd gone into hospital the second time, I'd, and this is for everyone listening, is like the journey that I've been on and why I'm so passionate about this holistic and the optimised health approach now is. I had changed my diet, like very, very strictly on my dietary protocols. I had um, stepped away from work, so work stress had gone away. I had started meditating. I was um, doing the the self-love practices. I was sleep, I wasn't even walking and I was sleeping 12 hours a night, every night, and I still needed more sleep. That's because my body was so sick and the immune system was so active. I was doing all of these different things do like trying to practice yoga and and working in rather than working out and i'd stop Mm. training so from the outside looking in i'd done everything i possibly could on the physical like the superficial the symptomatic level to to treat it and i still wasn't getting better gotta get to those root
0: causes motherfucker
1: yeah exactly and that's where i got to so i was like when i got to port douglas and i pulled out that journal i was like it's time to dig so what did you find oh man I literally pulled up my whole childhood <laughs> and then uh, which as you would know the unconscious mind that's very straightforward that
0: trauma uh, expresses itself in a variety of different ways yep. that people don't realize yeah. until they grow older they can reveal themselves in these neurotic holding patterns is what elliot holst calls them yep. these little idiosyncrasies these these the stories we tell ourselves and the trauma can come in all shapes and sizes can't it yeah it's not necessarily parental it could be environment uh friend anything what was your experience with that what did you dig and find
1: ah interesting really interesting and this is where Kat actually came in because she's a, a coach so this is the the friend that helped me out she came when she came out on the fourth night I said during that time I worked out a way to coach myself through journaling so dig through journaling and unlock parts of the unconscious so you know when you want to basically in like like timeline therapy and things like that with people to find their root cause you go back in time back in time back in time where did it stem from i managed to learn to do that through journaling but there was a couple i couldn't unlock myself and that came down to cat so what i found was um one as a as a child and this created my identity up until the last couple of months was uh i was labeled as gifted as a child so I skipped ahead years so I skipped year four in primary school and went straight up to year five from year three as soon as I did that though I became alienated I was different like oh you've left us and now you're with this group so what happened was when I was actually in that next year group uh up in year five I was bullied so badly because I was doing really well in that class too like topping that year five class group or whatnot in the beginning I was bullied so badly that I was literally like suicidal at 11 years of age. Really? Yeah, like I'd I'd come home and tell mum I can't go back to school. I don't want to live anymore. I want to kill myself. Like, I can't do did this. You,
0: did you attempt to take your life at any point? No. Did you plan no. to do
1: it? No, I don't think I knew. I think I understood the principle, but I don't think I was ready to do it. Yep. Hay had a very high suicide rate, and I was already aware of other people committing suicide really? in Hay. Yeah, like at one point, I believe the stat was that it had the highest suicide rate per capita in Australia, which is incredibly high.
0: What is it about that environment that promotes that? Uh, it's a
1: rural outback farming town but it's very isolated like the next closest town's like 130 kilometers away so you're in this small kind of like a big fish in a small pond scenario it's a bubble yeah you're in the bubble and it was a very negative bubble from what i can understand i was very young at this stage so if i was to speak to mum or dad they would understand it a whole lot better than me but it was a big thing for me it was very different it wasn't to do with the, the farming or the, the stress of the drought and things like that for me it was the bullying yep. but that's where i was at and it made it harder because my teacher at the time bullied me as well.
0: Really? She was a,
1: a sport teacher and the sporty kids were bullying me. So it was kind of like I didn't really have a, a safe place. It's
0: such a shame, man.
1: It was rough, but it's the best thing that's ever happened to yeah. me because it's, it's developed me to who I am. Uh, so that was then and, and what actually happened was it got to the point where I couldn't stay in that year. Like we, I ended up repeating back to my previous year, hoping that would fix the problem had no idea didn't it made it worse really because then i was worse because like oh you went ahead now you've repeated like are you know like, what's smart wrong with enough? you yeah exactly that yeah. was the question before it was like oh he's really smart now it's like this kid's got a problem so i started to so this is when i was i'd say 11 so the first time was 10 the first year when i jumped up so around 10 or 11 i started to develop this mentality of like if you're going to bully me for being different, I'm going to be really fucking different. Mm. I'm going to make an, a note of it. So when I went back to the next year group, if I, because I didn't fit in, I was like, fuck you all. Like, I literally remember being in classes and the teacher would be like, we've got a test. And I'd be like, put my hand up and be like, is this counting towards ducks? Like I'd vocalize that and he'd be like, Yes, Todd, it is. I'm like, okay, let's do this. Like I'd get in the zone as like an 11-year-old kid because I was so focused on, I want to be ducks of this fucking school. Like that was my driver. I'm going to be the smartest kid there is because if they're going to pick on me for being different, I will be the fucking smart different. So I started developing this like, different was my protective mechanism. And then when I got to year nine, I was at boarding school and I'd just gotten enough confidence um, in myself from puberty because I used to be a chubby kid. but between year eight and year nine summer holidays I hit puberty so I was a late bloomer and uh, I just enough like to get a bit of a six-pack and start to get a little bit of belief in myself because girls were paying attention now and that led me to I'm not exactly sure why but I was already positive before this but I started in between year eight and year nine started like researching successful people and what they had in common and I just it was in that period that I started to realize that like successful people are different. They are the 1%. And that's how we know it, like.
0: And now you have something to confirm your pre-existing beliefs. Of Yeah, exactly, why is different good? Because mm-hmm. you must
1: be different to be successful. So then rather than different just being as a protective mechanism, it became my life's pope. Your like, identity. My, exactly. Fuck. So then that obviously continued and I just developed this whole identity around like, fuck you all, I will be different. I never had friends, I never wanted friends, I didn't see my family. All I did was like, I'm just gonna work. So like I started sports commentary when I was 13 for motocross, um, doing that while at boarding school, racing motocross, um, was doing national commentary like around the country by the time I was 15, being flown around doing that um, for work. And then by the time I was finishing high school, um, the year I turned 18, I was managing a national motorsport team and I was commentating the national motocross series. And the following year I was doing professional journalism at 19. And then the year after that I was Mm. moving further into, I think the time I was starting journalism was when I started interning down here at WSSC. So journalism was gonna be your thing? At that point I wanted to, I was at a point where I wanted to uh, have a diverse range of opportunities really. I was looking into strength and conditioning, had the journalism, had the commentary, had the team management. So I thought maybe I'll be like a sports manager of athletes with a diverse skill set. at that point. And all I wanted to do was work. Like I, and this is where I was av- eventually got sick. I worked myself into the ground. Like I worked myself onto my onto my sick bed, onto my what we, whatever you would call that end of last year, the death bed. But this like, is ten
0: years. Yeah, an accumulation. Slowly going yeah. downhill. Yeah, and
1: it was it was neurotic in the sense of like I had these programs set in my mind. They were mm. incredible because two things could have happened when I was that kid. I could have either seen different as bad and gone down the route of like drugs and alcohol and partying and, and potentially being in with the wrong crowd and never have found what I've found now. But I turned it into a positive and now it's driven me forward and driven me to incredible places, which I'm very fortunate to have experienced. But this, when I was in Port Douglas, when Kat asked me um, and, and said, because I realised through my journaling and my questioning, what is it that's driven me? It was being different. And then I realised that my story was... The winning formula, as as they call it, is that to be successful you must be different. And I realised through this that that's how I'd lived my whole life. But in actual fact, what I wanted unconsciously was to be accepted, because I'd never been accepted from that age when I skipped up a year Mm. and I was different. And uh, the one safe place I had was the motocross track. When I'd go away on weekends to motocross because they didn't know if I was smart or dumb at motocross. They just knew me as the the vocal kid that loved being around everyone and having fun. And I had a personality, like at 13, I was commentating. So I wasn't just like the kid that raced, I raced and could talk and could, like I'd be the energy. Mm -hmm. So I loved it there. Like That was my thing, like going away on weekends was like I'd bubble up, but then, and I guess that's where I got my acceptance. But what eventually ended up happening was dad and I would fight a lot. So mum, dad and I would typically go away racing. Mum and I would gel really well. She, I guess, she's more emotionally connected and understood, whereas Dad was, Dad was away working a lot, and and we spoke about this. We only spoke about this this week. I brought it up with him because I needed to open up about what I've held in and suppressed over the years, and I, I said to him, I don't know if you meant it, but you triggered me a lot, and and pushed my buttons a lot. Like I'd have an issue, and I'd say, Dad, I need this fixed, and he'd be like, Fix it yourself. You don't need that fixed and then i'd be like what the fuck like i'm here to race like why are you doing this and then i come back five minutes later and he's fixed it i'm like why didn't you just fix it in the first place mm. so then what happened was this place that i was accepted and i loved being dad was taking that from me so then i had this resentment towards dad around this um, and eventually at like uh, 18 i pushed dad away and said i don't want you to come racing anymore and why did you decide to do that because at that point i was racing nationals and I wanted to perform well, but I didn't feel like I psychologically could because we were fighting and I needed to focus. Mm. Um, so it's kind of like if you're trying to drive a car and you've got a blindfold on, it's not gonna end really well. Like I was, that's how I felt being at the races. And so we brought up, we had a friend that came along that became my mechanic and mum, he and I would go around to the, to the state and the national races. And at that time it obviously worked better. But what I found in the long run was because dad was away so much as a kid for me, I missed dad and I loved dad and, and never really got to um, never really got to have the time I wanted with him and that was something that I held on to a lot so like these things I realised were one that different like I needed to be different to be successful which now I know is completely a lie two was that um, I wanted to have more time with dad and I wanted to dad to tell him that he loved me and the third one was like I was working so hard because I wanted one to make Mum proud, which is a massive thing to me because she's helped me so much. But then the second, in part with that, was uh, I felt like with Mum and Dad, they invested so much in my racing that I was on this journey in my career. I needed to make lots of money so that I could pay them back for everything they gave me. And I only realized this two weeks ago. I was seeing a kinesiologist and it came up. And she was like, because I was toying with like scarcity and abundance mindset around finance. And she's like, where does this come from? And then I was like, now I know. Um, It it kind of all just bubbled up and then came out that, yeah, the whole reason I'd had that financial drive to make money was so that I could give mum and dad Mm. money back or send them on holidays that they didn't have because they were committing to my racing.
0: Do you think there's some merit to that psychology? Because I know a lot of athletes especially, and I know I came up playing basketball, that was a mentality for me. And I think it can be productive to an extent because it can drive and fuel you. But anything, any, like any fuel, if, if there's, there's too much and it gets out of control, well, you lose control. But yeah. do you think it is somewhat productive yeah. in some ways?
1: Yes, I, I believe that everyone needs a bit of a chip on their shoulder. Mm. And I know uh, there's a few well-known speakers that talk about that, but it's the way you manage the chip on your shoulder, yeah. that th- the chip isn't the determining factor of whether you succeed or you burn out. It's how you manage the chip or how you view the chip on your shoulder which is a big thing. And that's something that I've learned through the mindfulness process and the meditation process and and everything I've gone through in this becoming a different person the last six months is the, I've got two analogies for you that I think those listening, this will kind of click. And I talk about, I used to talk about mindset like all day, every day. And now I talk a lot about mindfulness and you can have the strongest, most positive growth mindset in the world. But if you're not mindful, you're not going to get to where you want to go. And the reason for that I'll explain now is because you can be a mentally callous beast and work your face off. David Goggins type. Exactly. Okay. He's he's the, the epitome of it. He and like Jocko Willink are yeah. like the two people you yeah, think of. Absolutely. And I speak about this a bit in the academy with like the SEALs and their type of training and what they go through. But if you have a, a car that can do 200 miles an hour and you put it on a dyno or you sit it there and it's spin its wheels. You get the back rear wheel drive, wheels are spinning and it's sitting there doing zero. But those wheels are spinning so fast, the speedo says it's doing like 100 100 mile an hour and you're not going anywhere. That's like having the beast mindset but not being mindful of what you're doing. You're not actually going anywhere, you're spinning your wheels. So you can be working your ass off but not be clear on where you're working towards or what you're working towards or how to be optimizing that through productivity and you're just going to be spinning your wheels which is what i used to do and the other thing is kind of like uh i speak about the analogy of
0: before you ha- get to the second one yeah but it sounded like you, you had a direction though like you, you use the analogy of spinning the wheels not having not much direction didn't you feel like you had a direction you knew when you wanted to go
1: or is there more to it there's more to it so i knew but in short I knew where I wanted to be in 20 years or 50 years' time. Uh. I had no idea how the fuck I was going to get there. Okay. Like, I had uh, so shiny object syndrome. Like, okay, I'll do this, and I'll do this, and I'll do this. Just hoping that all kind of align, like, destiny's just going to work. I, to-
0: I love a, a quote. This resonated with me because I, I, I've historically fallen into this. Do not mistake activity for productivity.
1: Yeah. That's it. That's, exa- that's like busyness the,
0: for, pro- for productivity.
1: Yeah, that's the summation. and. That's a big thing is, is busyness yeah. because everyone wants to be busy because yeah. they feel like I'm, I'm working hard so I deserve what comes to me but really is, is busy even a good thing? Like yeah. if,
0: and that's, that's the spinning the wheels exactly. and going nowhere. And
1: the same thing is how I used to live my life was imagine someone's got a target, like a, a bullet target yeah. and they're holding it and then they say, you've got a, a automatic rifle with unlimited bullets, like a big chain and they say, I want you to shoot this target. And are like, yeah, sweet, easy. But before they put the target anywhere in the room, they put a blindfold on you, and then they place the target somewhere. So let's say we're in this room and they place it in like the top right corner or whatever it is, or the bottom right corner. And then they say, "Okay, blindfolded on, shoot the target." You have no idea where it is. You're going wild, shooting every different direction, top, bottom, left, and right, whatever it is, expending all of these bullets, and you haven't hit the target because you've got this beast mindset. You're doing all this work. Like I'm the fucking hardest worker in the room. Like I will work every hour of the day. No one will outwork me. But you then have someone that in their other situation, they say, okay, I've got a target for you to shoot. And they give you one bullet and they give you a sniper rifle. And they say, okay. And they put the target up in the center of the room and they give you a, um, something to lean on. You set the gun up, you know exactly where the target is. You look through your scope, you take a breath, you assess, you're aware of your target, you take one shot, bang, and you hit the target. That's the difference between mindset and mindfulness, Mm. is work ethic versus the awareness, or the productivity, is it's like, it's total output versus input. Because you can be putting in 100 hours and doing a hundred hours of shit and you get no output but if you know what you want and you're clear on that that's when you have a high output and you're productive i used to be the guy with the auto rifle and i was shooting at everything so everyone would be like man this todd jarrett kid like he works hard like people
0: would say like i look up to you how hard you." and work. i bet you use that as oh, fuel. Yeah. Oh, i bet man, you love that love because it. that's acceptance yeah and Validation.
1: The big thing was especially when people would say, oh, you're so successful for your age. Like, you're so young, doing so well. Like, that was the biggest. I was like, yes, I've won. It's a trap, man. Yeah. It's a fucking trap. <laughs> yeah.
0: So the
1: the thing that actually hit me a little while ago, and this is exactly what you said about it being a trap and it's, it's feeding our ego, was when I said my age to someone. And they were like, oh, you're getting a bit older. And it was like, it crushed me. I didn't know what to do you for the rest the of that. I was like, really? What the fuck? I'm yeah. not young anymore. Yeah. Like, I can't even hold onto my story of being a successful young person yep. because
0: now someone said, oh, I'm getting older. And then there's the pressure of that, that we create. Yeah. So, lots in it. Oh, man. I think to surmise what you've said, I think the mindfulness and the mindset mentality, it sounds like it's, there's this underlying foundation of present state awareness. Mm-hmm. Patience and taking your time. Yes. That's what sounded like the, the sniper rifle analogy. And, you know, I think when you said with the chain of bullets or, or the, the, yeah, the, the chain of bullets, that's almost like you're pissing away all your days. You know, you have one day, one bullet. You don't know if then you get another one tomorrow. Yeah. And you didn't know. But if you take that motherfucker, you point it exactly. You take your time. You breathe. I think breathing. <laughs> Just like that, that's, that epitomizes patience. And, and taking your time and a present state awareness just because so many people and I think I've been a victim of myself to this this idea of you have to just I think you can have both though you can go you can go hard and you can be present while doing so yeah how have you found that now are you trying to still You're trying, of course it's a daily thing but
1: I have a morning routine and I have an evening routine yeah And they—they are my mindfulness. And in the hours in between, I go as hard as I fucking
0: can. Right. They're like they ground you. They're
1: my center. They are my anchor, and that's That's why I keep talking to people about it—the routines. Oh my
0: god, people. Some people think routine and habit is like constricting. I think it's freeing.
1: Yes, discipline is freedom. Yeah. (laughs) Jocko Willink. Yes.
0: Echo Charles. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that was actually
1: a really good invitation. I like that.
0: Um. Yeah, discipline is freedom. And that's just that statement. You tattoo that on your forehead. Yeah. Um, I'd
1: be proud to run that on my forehead. I really do. <laughs> I've, I've literally, I write on my hand most days now as a reminder, 90% on mindfulness to remind me that when I, because there's a lot of time I still go back into old Todd. Yeah, of course. I'm like, go hard and, and I get completely absorbed. But it's, we, it's really interesting. I'm very in tune with my, my feeling and my body now because of everything I've experienced. After I've been absorbed, I literally... It's like the moment I come out of that, I'm like, whoa. It's like, a, you've been, you know when you've been in the flow and you come out and you're like, I just worked for like four hours straight and didn't even look away. When that happens, as soon as I come out, it's like my stomach gives me pain. It's like a signal that I'm being told, you fucked up again. Like, you've got to step back. So I literally write 90% or mindfulness to remind me to always have a little bit left in the tank in terms of, and I don't mean that as I don't give 100%, I do, but to be mindful of everything I'm doing while I'm doing it Mm. because you're more calculated, you've got better cognitive function, you've got better understanding, better problem solving, better processing of information, you've got better um, creativity and the ability to assess multiple things when you're conscious compared to unconscious and it enables you to step back or stay stepped back and still performed well. So uh, I ran, I did some corporate coaching late last year and I literally, it was like a three and a half hour um, session with the, the team and I was cooked after it. Like two days afterwards, I was wrecked. And Potty JP, had just been, he and his partner had just been to one of Kerwin's uh, nail it and scale it events. And Kerwin spoke about how he used to do the same thing. And then, how he had to remind himself 90%. So, even when he's performing on stage, pardon me, he's still mindful because then he's able to maintain it. He could do that for 10 days straight. Whereas, when he first started out and he wasn't at that 90%, he would burn out within a day or two. And Mm. that that was, I was like, okay, sustainability for me is the goal. Yeah. Because that's where you make progress over the long term. Yes. That's what matters. The
0: tortoise and the hare type analogy. So, when you say 90%, though, like you said, you don't mean you're not putting in 100% effort. What? Where is that other ten percent? Like, like, what does that mean? Like, yeah. I know you're being mindful, but ninety yeah. percent of what?
1: I guess that what it what it means to me is different to most people, which is why, it, like, it's yeah. kind of like the meaning it has. Sure. But if you were to think, you've got uh, ten steps to get to the finish line, uh, and the finish line is when you've you're in that fully absorbed state. Um, for people to think it's like when you're in the zone, when time disappears. When all you're doing is like you're you're typing up that your content or you're loving what you're doing, I want to be one step back from that so that I can be doing it, but I can still go, oh, did you hear that noise? Or got it? Yeah, so I still I still have that awareness. Got it. Whereas I used to lose that. So uh, when I'd be coaching or when I'd be doing something in particular, I would be so absorbed in what I'm doing, I'm completely um, naive to whatever else is happening in the world around me. And there's times when that's beneficial. But for sustainable long-term growth, I've found that for me, physio- like physically and physiologically, I can't maintain that. I'm not sure if it's because I go so hard and I go down the rabbit hole. like The way I used to work, for, for context sake, for everyone that's listening that may not know my background, Like I used to get up at, say, 5 to go coach and train athletes from whatever it is, like 6 till 9 a.m. And then I'd go and have breakfast from, say, 9 till 10. Then I would research till, say, like... 4 p.m. and somewhere in there I'd try to fit in training then I'd coach again from like 4 till 9 and then I'd have dinner from like 9 till 10 and then I'd switch on and I used to be they've called they call like wired in terms of your cortisol levels Um, so at like 10 p.m. I'd hit the zone and I'd work from like 10 p.m. to like 2 a.m. straight or sometimes it was like 2.33 in the morning and then I'd go to bed so most nights for a period there I was only sleeping like three to four hours and I was in that absorbed state most of the day. So my body was just constantly triggered and driving on cortisol, adrenaline, like um, the HPA access was just blowing me. Yeah, I was so sympathetic dominant. um, And that's how I was. My body just wasn't going to handle it. The fact that I also had like, we have neuronal connections with food. I'm not sure if people are aware of this. Um, Unconsciously, most people know, but it's like the whole idea of like comfort food things like that people know what they go to it's because the neurotransmitters and the hormones are interacting saying you need this food to feed us to make us happy
0: not only that they they, they, some research is coming out like how the gut microbiome is linked to certain so certain microbiomes and certain strains of bacteria are linked to sugar and fat and the more it's kind of a positive feedback loop the more sugar fat and certain processed foods you consume the more this bacteria increases the more you crave it yeah which yeah, is so fascinating.
1: We call that like microbial behavior. Mm. This is where my my gastroenterologist, I was very fortunate uh, that we found him and he happened to be on the sunny coast. He's one of only a few uh, practitioners in Australia and around the world that do fecal microbial transplant. Oh. That's why we actually went to him. So I ended up being like a little, you'd say like an understudy to him in a way. He just uh, published a, his PhD paper in, like he'd done PhDs before, but just published another paper in the lancet which is very high level and that was all on fmt and going into the gut microbiome and everything and yeah we have these neuronal connections with food and for me i had this neuronal connection this belief the linked in with food that if i was eating like woolworth's chocolate chip cookies and chocolate milk late at night i was in the zone i was working hard because it meant i was too busy to take time to cook a good meal which was like giving me that affirmation of you're a hard worker, like you're
0: grinding. And that's what I used to live on. Trick yourself, man. Yeah. You played yourself as DJ Khaled would say.
1: <laughs> yeah, so the uh, the accumulation of all of it, the sleep, the stress, the the food, the other things that went on in childhood, like I was very sick as a young kid from zero to three, those all added up. That's that's the basis of autoimmune conditions. Were
0: you uh, a natural, natural birth or C-section? Yeah, natural birth. Okay.
1: Yeah, but I had three... Bouts of IV antibiotics before I was three years of age. Are you serious, yeah, which is huge. I mean,
0: we know the gut market. The first couple, uh, is it six, six months or three years? I got to look it up. But the first six months to three years is very formative for the microbiome. Yeah. Were you breast, Judy? Did you breastfeed him? So good job for Judy. Natural yeah. birth. She's she's trying to help you.
1: Yeah. But why were you on antibiotics? I had neutropenia, which in itself is an autoimmune condition. So you you don't produce the white blood cells, your neutrophils. So anything that would come up as, like, a sickness or a bacterial infection, I'd get it, basically. Mm. This is only from what I've found out from speaking with mum because I obviously don't remember. But that, and then, yeah, like, I had IBS symptoms um, when I was racing motocross, completely stress-induced. Never had, like, uh, IBS symptoms, so for people that are thinking of the symptoms, that's, like, diarrhoea and things like that, very simply. Never had them during the day, never had them during the week. Any other time, I'd go and race nationals and I'd spend most of my day in the port during the toilet didn't think anything of it at the time that's stress induced but even signals. like a lot of
0: fighters they'll like vomit yeah. and urinate frequently and, and pass everything out of them before a fight and that's it but it makes sense though you're you're switching like hp axis is on adrenals up high because yeah. you're you have to perform yeah. so physiologically it makes sense we need that to perform yeah but at the same time is that sustainable for long-term longevity and health yeah probably not so
1: yeah, like the old nervous we for people yes but yeah mine was just a a bit more full-on so now that i work with a very fortunate to have worked with some incredible practitioners through uh, this whole process my integrative doc said like look if i got on you when you were 17 going through these ibs symptoms you would not have what you've developed now and it's kind of looking back and going oh fuck, if only we knew but it's a part of the process and like we take it in our stride just
0: think about this look at all the stuff you know now yeah exactly like, so much life ahead of you, theoretically, right? Fuck, we can, who knows who the fuck you can be? (laughs) Potential is through the roof, which is amazing because you have now this incredible story and you've gone through the fire. There's kids out there who are gonna go through this, probably worse. You can, we as health professionals can intervene and help maneuver and navigate those individuals onto a better path. So you talked about um, the gut and your gut and you, what was the outcome for your surgery? Did you have surgery? No, I didn't. Are you missing a colon? Oh,
1: no, no, I've, I've still, I've still got it. I'm That's still amazing. Intact, yeah. Good. So, uh, I've had a lot of colonoscopies, which is obviously the cameras and looking around. So a lot of those, but no, I haven't had my colon removed, which is incredible. That's a massive.
0: How thing. did they? How did you get out of that situation?
1: Heavy, heavy medication. I'm still on heavy medication now. Antibiotics? Uh, no, no, no. So I did have to go on antibiotics while I was in hospital against my will basically I had a bacterial infection it has infection. a purpose look yes
0: it saves lives Yeah, and sometimes you need them yeah. as shit as they are for the microbiome Yeah,
1: saves lives just decreases the quality of life is what we say right but yeah so uh, no I went on uh, cortisol basically which is prednisone or hydrocortisone in hospital a massive amounts of that and then they also put me on um, blood infusions and another medication called mercaptopurine, which is what they I believe in my understanding they use it in organ transplants and leukemia. And then the infliximab is an infusion where it shuts off particular immune cells. So I have a compromised immune system. So uh, that's, you would say a compromised, I have a very low functioning immune system.
0: Okay, that's interesting. I can see why you're trying to stay out of the media then with (laughs) the virus. Yeah, literally. Because you don't want to get into a self, you don't want to go down that cycle, No, right? It's important, okay. It's important to stay informed and educated. But at the same time, you gotta know yourself and be like, fuck, you may have to like step way the fuck back and trust the people around you to like inform you of the really important stuff. Yes, Is that kind of what you're doing?
1: Yeah, I'm staying away from it. We were only on the phone to a family friend last night. I think it was last night, yeah. And uh, they were talking about all of the issues because they were supposed to be going overseas and their trip got canceled. And they were talking about all of these issues that people are having and the risks and don't go near these people and this, that and the other. And I was like, mum, please go on talk with them externally. I don't need to hear this right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Because literally, just before I came here, I was at the uh, Royal Hospital in catching up with a friend he's also he's a health professional and a cancer scientist and we had a a bit of a meeting and a catch-up just to chat about her health approach and everything yeah
0: today before i came here also you went into the hospital yeah
1: so like i've gone there and now i'm going to the airport the two worst places you could go if you wanted to try to contract coronavirus or any virus Brother,
0: please let me know if anything comes up in the next two weeks because there's a lot of people you just came in contact with today yeah but you should be fine
1: yeah so no, it's, so much of it is, if you look at the, the information around it, and we did chat with him, they literally have had 700 people in the hospital go in in the last, I think he said 24 hours, to be tested because they're like, oh, I've got coronavirus. Not one of them have come back positive. Everyone's just in that. This is at their that, hospital? Yeah, in Mer- Royal Melbourne. Right. Yeah, that's the amount of people that are freaking out about it. No one's even got it. So,
0: I guess you'd rather, look to me, proactivity is better than reactivity, mm-hmm. right? So you'd rather get ahead of something than behind it. Um, so I can see the, how do I say? I can see why people want to do that. And it's, but if you pay attention, people are encouraging that. Like researchers, medical professionals, the government, they're all encouraging people to, hey, if you have this, just go get tested or just stay at home. They have their reasonable recommendations. But at the same time, um, we know very clearly that the more fear and stress that you induce onto yourself, that's gonna lower your immune system. Yeah. Your ability to fight infection is lowered. It's funny that there's two things here,
1: and, and one is that cortisol and cortisol resistance, which is from a high stress over time, yeah. is literally one of the biggest foundations for the uh, development of autoimmune conditions, autoimmune okay. diseases, which there's over 200 of now, and they are rampantly, rapidly growing. Um, it's incredible, linked to obviously a lot of lifestyle factors. We, we become cortisol resistant, which leads to the development in part of autoimmune conditions. What do they do to stop the autoimmune condition when it's really severe like I was? They literally dope us full of cortisol, ridiculous amounts of cortisol because it shunts the immune system. But because our immune system is dysregulated because of the cortisol resistance beforehand, it's this really weird effect that we're trying to decrease our cortisol and bring that down to try to standardize or regulate our immune system and our cortisol levels again but for them to clear up our symptoms they just smash us with it so again that's kind of part of the medical and health system in that it's more about treating the symptom rather than getting to the root cause the second thing is what you said before about people want to be getting ahead uh, rather than behind being proactive rather than reactive the thing is mentally or psychologically with those people is that the fact that they're already buying into i need to go and get tested they're kind of already behind it in a way because they're driving it forward being worried about it so when they've had people say to them, go and get it tested and things like that, um, or they've been listening to the news and they're going to be proactive in getting tested done. The fact that they're already worrying about it tells me that there's, or tells us that there's already a fear and apprehension around it. So they are behind it and giving it weight and driving it forward. So psychologically, the more action they put towards it, the more they're actually buying into the belief that they may have it. And obviously we know with like the manifestations of things, that's uh, A big part of it well
0: you definitely like placebo yeah we know placebo (laughs) there's no SIBO. SIBO, oh yeah (laughs) right you can worsen symptoms you can create symptoms right that don't exist right and that could be causing like uh false negatives with people who actually don't show up Uh, like they experience symptoms and they actually they're not they're not actually sick with this virus okay great but to my my question would be well what's the alternative if you experience cold and flu symptoms in this time why why not what, yeah. You know, the alternative is what people don't get tested then, and they just stay home and continue to spread something that they may or may not have. Yeah. And you end up in a situation potentially, like USA or Italy. Like I know you're not Paying attention to the news too much, <laughs> but Italy's medical system is overwhelmed. Yeah. It's I overwhelmed, and I don't want to tell you too much in case I don't want to create <laughs> anything. But um, uh, there are situations that uh, can be created, and examples all across the world of people not getting ahead of it. And it's just a potential outcome yeah. that perhaps we we could mitigate. Yeah. So that that would be that's my two cents.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And it's that situation of the. It's really two options. It's either like, run to the diagnosis or run away from it. In that sense of like, you know, when there's athletes and they're like, I'm pretty sure I've broken my leg, but I'm not going to go and get an
0: X-ray because I don't want to confirm. I'm just going to. Gonna you want to keep you. playing? You want yeah, to keep doing your thing? Exactly. It's right. that
1: kind of situation. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, so. but you can be in the middle though. Yes. Like you can stay calm and rational without fear mongering and getting stressed. So, can we remain in the middle, focused, present, mindful? Hey, there it is. Boom. Now, with your gut, now, the gut microbiome is autoimmune autoimmune uh, disorders and issues have never been more common. Mm hmm. The gut microbiome has also never been more talked about and we've never had more research on people talking about it in holistic health, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, so many, I find so many people live, they live, they get used to their symptoms mm-hmm. and then it becomes a new baseline, diarrhea, mm-hmm. constipation, bloating, brain fog, any neurophysiological conditions, right? And they come to, it becomes a new normal and the conditions slowly get worse, year after year after year, and you just get used to it, right? You think, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. I, it would bowel syndrome. Everybody's got that, just a little bit of gut distress, right? And they find that um, around 40, 50% of people with IBD has a very strong association to SIBO, which you know is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which can then cascade to, other, to further immune issues, ulcerative colitis being a pretty severe one. So what is your state and approach to the gut now? Like how are you taking care of your gut microbiome?
1: So the way I go about mine is the way I coach people in theirs mm. and say like the academy, we talk about this. Uh, for context, that's the Holistic Health Academy and that's my journey and my purpose now, what I'm passionate about. And everyone's gut microbiome is the same as our human fingerprint. Like we have a second fingerprint and that's our microbiome. No well human said. on this planet has the same microbiome. Yep. And what happens in the for the general public, and this is kind of like a what not to do before I say what to do, is most people go and they just get like, a bunch of probiotics and they start taking probiotics and smashing Or uh, probiotic food is better actually than the supplements but they go smash probiotic uh, supplements and so on and so forth to to think that they're improving their gut microbiome but the issue with that is the fact that um, because our gut microbiome is so unique someone could be smashing Saccharomyces boulardii or Lactobacilli or something like that that we know are going to be positive Let's say they already have a high proportion of that, but they're low in something else that's going to be um, positive. And they're, they're just doping up on one they've already got a high concentration of. They're not actually going to improve anything. They're just throwing away money, basically. So what needs to be done is, you can get this done microbiome testing to find out what you're, in the general strains, what you're high and lower in, because obviously there's thousands, trillions, like of thousands of just strains, strains and, yeah. and trillions of cells. Yeah. Um, Bacteria, I should say, that um, you can find out out of those main families that we know of which need to be increased, which need to be decreased, so on and so forth. That's the first step for me is to find out, like if you're not assessing, you're just guessing in that way. Yeah, well said. And so there's there's a few that, um, like E. coli and ruminococcus and and a bunch in the, the bad for dysbiosis, which is obviously the precursor typically to... To the, the leaky gut process and obviously Can how. Can you explain
0: that, what that word means for people who don't know?
1: Okay, so dysbiosis is um, when. <laughs>
2: dysbiosis I always come up here and there's always a street facade here. Hello, sir. <laughs>
1: the, uh, the dysbiosis is when See, the good and bad bacteria ratio is out. So, this
2: is yeah. actually my office. Does anyone know this is my office? Does everyone know it's my office? Yes, this is
0: the office of Woodford Sports Science Consulting, have Coach we, have Christian we, have we, have Woodford. We
2: that? Hello, Mrs. Jarrett. Well, I said before, I know where Todd gets his looks from now. Definitely his mother. Definitely his mother. You haven't seen dad yet. Oh, do not matter. I've seen <laughs> your mother. That's all I care about. Don't worry about your father. <laughs> I'm just worried about your mother. Now, listen, Todd, It's Judy Jarrett. Ju- yeah, it, Mrs. Jarrett, you name her. Mrs. Jarrett. Be respectful. <laughs> now, everyone, Todd. How you been? We we got into the conversation yet? We're talking chimps, man. I might chimps, take man. a seat actually. Since it is my office. do the office. Yet. Do you like it, Todd? Do you like the gym? Do you like the oh, Get me a third microphone.
1: Interesting.
0: We throw a
2: It doesn't work. It doesn't words.
0: work. Oh,
2: okay. <laughs> How's everyone <laughs> going? Are they good. This is my fourth episode I've been on. Yeah, so you're famous now. Well, not really. No, it's talking. We're just talking chimps. If you think about Judy, we're just talking chimps. Anyway, Todd, how you been going? You been good. I've been mean, incredible, thank you. How You've actually you put been? a bit of weight, actually. It's kind of good. I'll keep it right there. It's been all well, Have we got Posse on here yet or not? Well, when he comes to town, he we would will. say about three words and stutter through the whole thing. Anyway, <laughs> so how you been, Todd? Been good. What's been happening? Have we have we got to this part of the podcast yet or not? Which part? The how you been going part? Yeah, have we gone past yeah, that one? Yeah, yeah, we've got we've gone past that one. Oh shit! Well, I'm kind of stuck then, aren't yes. I? Yes. What's your next question? Oh, I really don't know. Are you good interview? I heard a story about you. I don't know if this is true or not. Oh, Thank you. Um, is it true that you had an option between taking two, either taking this pill, what was the thing, either taking a pill or living on something? There was when your health condition was very bad, yeah, and they gave you an option. They gave you two options. What were the two options again?
1: I don't know. You're telling the story. Oh, um,
2: it was to do with. Um, I was reading up on your, the issue that you had and it's, what are you doing? Leave it down. I, I like, p- you know, picking it up, you know what I mean? I heard that um, uh, your condition was so bad that it could have led to death. Is that true?
0: Yeah. Yeah, we talked about that in depth.
2: How does that get to that point, brother?
1: Uh, working hard for a long period of time and disregarding symptoms. So you was, had the symptoms? Oh, for a long period of time. Like 12 to 18 months, I was in a bad way. Yeah. What was
2: the biggest symptom that you just neglected?
1: Pass
2: blood and mucus more than stool for like s- 12 months like why didn't you see a doctor about that bro i know I, it's good in hindsight uh, but
1: yeah well, i thought it'd go away i just thought no if i keep working hard it'll, it'll you're disappear. passing
2: blood in your stool for 12 to 18 months yeah, yeah. Well, i thought i was fucking nuts but you know <laughs> what you take the fucking cake bro because uh these days if i get one symptom i'm calling my mother mum what the hell is this
1: it's to- funny i actually use you as an example of uh of how I used to be and who I learned in terms of how I work, my work ethic and passion. And, yep. Yeah.
2: Well, listen, I appreciate that. That's very nice, Todd. Thank you. Thank you, Todd. I'm just glad your mother's here, Judy. I'm so glad you're here. It's is fantastic. Um, I just think that um, uh, Potsy was the one who predicted this a while back and I said, no, he'd be fine. He actually predicted this whole thing. Saying though, if you had the symptoms and you didn't do anything, fuck, man, shit. Passing blood in stool is not good. No. no. If you got onto it early, would th- would have been this bad, yes or no?
1: No, I don't think so. And this is what Alex said before about you know how we get used to a new baseline. Yeah. Yeah. Symptoms slowly worsen. Like for me, because it happened over twelve months, I Uh. couldn't tell the difference between where I was and where it was to begin with. Like I was like, oh, I've been, I've been passing blood this much, like this many times a day for a while now, not realizing that by that point I was say going to the toilet like fifteen to twenty times a day, passing blood.
2: Fifteen to twenty times a day, bro.
1: Yeah, can get. When I was in hospital the second time, it was like 20 to 30 times. I'd get up like eight times during the night. It was rough, really bad. But that's a part of the process. Jesus so.
2: Christ.
1: You just become blunt to it because you're so focused on what you're doing. And you're just like, oh, it's... Strange. So
2: you were just so focused on what your next goal was and not with your own health. Yeah. And yeah. it got to that stage. Well, I've been there. Yeah. I've definitely been there. I can't hold against him because i have did the same Episode thing. one. Episode one, yeah, go to yeah. Talking gyms. Um. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Actually, you know, it was funny. Kieran was the one who fucking...
0: All right, you know, I know you're going to talk about you right now. No, I'm not. No, let's, no, no, no. This is about Todd.
2: This is about Todd. I swear to God, this is about Todd. But Kieran, my PA, my operation manager, she goes, oh, you should um, listen to Todd talk. And I said, I don't know how Todd talks. It's fine. She goes, go on his group, you know, the mindset group you got? Yeah, yeah. And she goes, it's really good because um, uh, he's real big on mental health and real big on spiritual, spirituality and understanding your body and all this stuff where when I started in that group, I think it was really good to help people within the community and actually help people understand that, you need to kind of take a break within your own self and understand what's going on with you know for me I'm always worried and yourself you're so worried about the future and then not in the in the present yeah it's a big thing a big issue and I remember I was I'm like that and so are you and it must have been a big thing for you just to kind of be present in the moment I'm guessing
1: yeah and that's where it's like who I was to who I am now is very different so yeah. who I was before i went to port douglas or around that time i went into hospital the second time yeah to when i came out of hospital and then yeah. when did that meditation retreat like i'm a completely different person now i don't really think that much about the future i just know that what i'm doing now if i do my best today yep. i'll be best set up for tomorrow because i used to just spend half invest half my day thinking about okay what's to come in six months what's to be the next 12 months like, yep. and. That part of my day, like I'm not being productive. I'm multitasking just on thinking. Whereas now I'm I'm just focused on what's happening right now, very present, and that's that's come through a lot of practice. But it can be developed, and I'm very very grateful for that. Like I'm very calm compared to how I used to be. That's for sure.
0: I'm like this chimp. (laughs) He'll get there.
2: Uh, I think that um, I think my that's my personality naturally that that's how I am naturally I think like you decide the person you want to be yeah but that's 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 true but this is my um personality naturally like I'm very full on individual but I've learned a lot I've learned to calm myself down when I have to. I, you even said to me yesterday, and you can't say you haven't. You gone? Oh, I told you about my phone and what I've done with my phone. You go, that's fantastic. But then I saw you
0: on Messenger. I was active this morning. No, 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 and you read no, no. My no, no.
2: Message. no, 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 no. I don't I have like, Messenger. It's Kieran. So I told Karen. So Karen, Karen's on it, not me. I've told you that. When I say I'm off it, I'm off it. Gotcha. I've gone off completely Messenger. I turn off my phone at eight o'clock at night, which has helped me so much. Where before it was just racing, racing, racing. I'm so glad your mum's here. He's so good, you know <laughs> what I mean? I'm so glad. I'm so glad you're here. Your mum's fantastic, Todd. Um, yeah, I just think it's great that you're here. When you told me you were here, I think that's great. Yeah, man. thanks for hijacking the podcast. Well, I couldn't give a <laughs> shit. Have, it is my you. office. Yeah, it's good to have you. Well, I'm, but I'm, I'm, just, I'm just interested to hear his story. That's why I'll be watching the Talking chief no, episode. the last
0: hour we've talked is like, yeah. Do you have any
2: long-term... Time. Is there any long-term issues you will have or... I don't want to be yeah. negative. No, or? that's
0: fine. Uh, the
1: the medication i'm on now have a lot of long-term side effects very yeah. severe because i mentioned before that the medication i'm on like they use them for organ transplants and leukemia and things like that it's Shit, heavy man. heavy very medication man. but in terms of what's going on with my stomach i don't believe so because the gut and we know that the, the body the cells redevelop and yep. restructure if i can heal yep. it which is my goal heal it without the medication in time yeah is that my body will be to 100 percent and yep. They say you can't get rid of an autoimmune condition because the immune markers will always be there, but you can reverse it. And that's my goal. And that's where my passion lies in now is obviously it was in performance coaching, then it was in teaching. Now it's educating on on this approach of going beyond just working hard. It's like working smart, working in and balancing. So you can, and we mentioned this before, like. I work like a beast when I'm working but now I have my anchors in the morning and the evening and that will be I know the process I need to still be who I want to be but heal my body and be able to be the best person for everyone around me
0: so snap well said shall shall, shall me and Todd continue this conversation continue no no please no 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 please oh please okay I'll just sit here then Just, just a bit that way please okay
2: keep going come on bro what are you talking about? Give us some space, man. Oh, uh, uh, you, right, uh, use your office. I just want to ask one more question. Oh, I can do my thing. Oh, thank you, Alex. Oh, you that? I can do my thing in my own office. Great. One more thing. What do you... So for yeah, for us your career, you've got to focus on this stuff now. This is your passion? Yeah,
1: this is my passion. Yep. Yeah. So it's... There will be... For the next 12 months, there will be two aspects. Yep. So what we were doing with TJT and the yep. mentoring of coaching, awesome. that, yeah. that yeah. will come in the next, say, let's say six months, later part of the year. Yeah. Because that's still something that there's so to speak. I say this, I've accumulated too much information in my head to just let it go. Mm. Like I need to be able to give that to people. Distribute it. Yes, exactly. So that will come, but yeah, my my passion and my purpose now in in life is Mm. to enable people to step beyond where I was in that stress place and be able to live and achieve their goals, but do so in a way where they're happy. They're not worrying about the future and everything to come. They can do it and enjoy what's happening now and actually live fully. So yeah. literally my purpose in life is to live vulnerably, to empower others to live their fullest life. That's yeah. it. Um, and it used to be to live their highest level life, but highest level to me was kind of like the accumulation of external achievements and outcomes. Mm-hmm. Whereas living a full life is completely different. That's about yeah. being present because if you, and this, this came from when I was on the near, the near death experience, when that occurred. It, I looked back at life and I was like what are the things I actually cherish like I was fortunate to achieve some cool things and meet some incredible people <coughs> but <yeah. laughs> of, you, sorry continue I won't say anything now I'll Can say you it, it afterwards. Coronavirus over there? <laughs> yeah I do <laughs> um, but with that when I looked back what are the most memorable moments the most memorable experience I've had it's so cliche you hear about the old people on their deathbed I was 24 and I had the same thing it was the time with my family the time with my loved ones like the holidays that I took where I actually switched off from work and was present they're the things that stick with you because they're the things that actually etch deepest into your brain like Mm. you can have an incredible moment but if you're and you achieve this massive thing. But if you're straight on to going into the next goal, the next aspiration, and you don't take that time to switch off from that and celebrate, yep. you won't actually ever enjoy it. Agreed. And that's something
2: you mentioned yep. briefly before. 100%, agree. Just one more question. I am I'm annoying you. Just one more question. How many hours a night did you sleep? Be honest with me. Before? Before, be three honest.
1: To, Yeah, three to four. Yeah. Now.
2: Man, I, I knew it. Yeah. I just, yeah. 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 He's going you're to say thank chim.
0: you. <laughs> what? I'm
2: asking questions. I think it's really good. We're a really good team. I'm oh, Just my office, you know. Anyway, I'm going. Love to meet everyone. Love to see everyone. Yeah, it's good to see you, Christian I'll be back Woodford. Did you go downstairs? Judy, lovely. She's <laughs> great. Did you? Okay. She's great. All right. Oh, well, fantastic, Todd. Todd, be good to your mother. I oh, hey, yeah. Be, be hey. good to your mother. Because if not, I'll, you know what? I'll come down there and I'll crack it at you. <laughs> Where are you living at the moment? Oh. Yeah, hey. Where's, where's that? Oh man, is that Bendigo? Just New South Wales. Oh, New South Wales. Oh, very nice. <laughs> Country girl. Country. You look after Anita. <laughs> he's in. How he's going? <laughs> nah, nah, he's a
1: fruit
0: loop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good lord. Oh, that's Christian Woodford, ladies and gentlemen. And we have a timestamp. Christian enters. Christian enters. <laughs> <sets>. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Where were we? No, it's actually relevant questions and kind of like speaking about how. Interesting how you brought that up: cha- rechanging your vision. Yeah. You living a life fully mm. versus, would you say higher? It was, yeah, it was a high highest level? To and the then fullest. To full.: Because I think that's really important because I've also had my own change of vision, like earlier in my life, it was more about the superficialities, the accolades, the success, the yeah. money, blah, blah, blah. Now, it has never been more evident to me right now than to live a full life, and what that means to me is meaning, fulfillment and joy
1: drop the mic podcast ends <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's it for me yeah. right and then if i facilitate those then i can sleep at night and, and the rest is taken care of and i think the big one is joy because i know i think we a lot of the times you were having this con- we were having this conversation i resonated with how you used to talk to yourself and the things and stories you told yourself right and the one part of it is that you almost feel guilty for experiencing any Joy or, or having some time To yourself I'm not working right now yeah. I'm not doing anything Productive to get me To goal X and Y yeah. What am I doing mm-hmm. How can I be doing this This isn't going to help me
1: I used to get When I was um, With Matt If we would Have a movie night mm. I'd watch one movie And I would settle go, If we were to start a second I'd get anxious yeah. And I'm like no, no no Too much time Like I need to go back To work now And that's how I used to be It's the, the big ones for me Talking about like The joy and, and peace yeah. The The um, This has come from the the meditation and the Buddhism side of thing. Loving kindness is what they call metta. And that's the the metta sutra is a reading about loving kindness. And it's about expressing and feeling loving kindness for every single person, which is what I, in terms of like, if I was to say there's one thing I want to give to people every single day for the rest of my life, it's like just to love anyone, whoever it is. There's no such thing as a bad person in my eyes. There's only a good person that's potentially done a bad thing by your judgment because we are all always doing our best there's no human that is out there to do their worst in life
0: and, hold and on, I, hold I, on. yeah there's you think every, so you're saying everyone is doing their best
1: yes yeah and what so and what I mean by that is to explain because some people get that contextual yeah, yeah, let's yeah. clarify yeah. yeah so we are every decision we make is based on the circumstances and the events we've experienced before yes so everything we see in our, our life, we have a filter over our face basically. And that's that filter in, in the beliefs we have, the values we uphold, the attitudes we um, express, the, the words we express, the behaviours, so on and so forth. They've all been shaped and shifted, programmed and conditioned from what we've experienced before. So if someone's out there, um, and, and I usually go to extremes when I, Try to give examples so people really get the picture. But let's say you have someone doing something that's illegal. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm very tentative now with the examples I use because they do trigger people and I don't want to have the wrong effect with
0: oh, this. Hold on. Yeah. Why is triggering people bad?
1: Uh, in the sense of people getting the wrong idea from the message.
0: Okay, so misinterpretation. Yes, exactly.
1: So. I used to use the example of a uh, suicide bomber on a plane and people would go, whoa, and I'm going, exactly. That's why I'm going to use it. So I'll use it now, but I want the context to be, I want people to listen to this. In that for us to, to see a suicide bomber, we go, what the fuck? Like so many people would immediately go into that judgment of worst person in the world. You're taking everyone else's lives. They're innocent people. I agree with 100%, 100%. And I don't think it's the right thing to do at all. But in the same point, that person has got to that point because of their experiences, what they've been through, the people that have influenced them around them, that have told them what they need to do to be the person they want to be. So for them, they're taking their own life, which we know by fact, every single human is scared of their losing their life. It's an inbuilt thing that we have. And for that person to be taking that step, there is a reason that they are valuing something else over their own life. It's the same thing with, um, say like, um, violence, exactly the same situation. They've gotten to a point where um, they have built a, whether it be a a value from the people that have been around them, that have pushed them to that point where they feel like it's what they need to do. And, if you have questions on this as i'm going mm. please let me know sure. too because I, I don't want to, to to rant about it or to, to go on too much of a tangent but for example the, the people that are in a, a religious background or they're in a particular background where doing the wrong thing by our cultural standards um, might be the right thing by their family let's say for example a young child has been brought up and he's been brought up in a let's say it's a terrorist-based family and they've looked up to their father who's a like a, a renowned terrorist or a very bad person and they just want to make dad proud so they will do all of the wrong things because dad goes good kid good kid because what do we crave as humans as children we crave our parental love that is the most important thing to us parental love from Mum and dad so if this kid gets no love from anyone else in his life other than from from anyone unless he does the wrong thing by our standards but it's the right thing by his parents what the fuck's he going to do He's not gonna be like, fuck you guys, and I'm gonna do the right thing because then he doesn't get love. And we know by the the way the brain and the physiology works, he is going to have his dopamine and all of those, the neurotransmitters, the hormones connect that when he does the, the wrong thing mm. and he gets told good job, he's going to keep doing it. Why do we do what we do? Because we've been told it's the right thing to do. Why do we work hard? Because we have a feeling working hard is good. Why do we use our manners? Because we've been told that it's a good thing to do.
0: You know what? I think this is a really important distinction you're making because so many people are unempathetic and don't un- un- uncompassionate, and don't understand that that person you're pointing and judging for whatever act they're doing. Let's use the suicide bomber. Yeah, man, that could have been you. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, exactly. Like it's just a, a matter of timing and luck. Who says that you couldn't have been born into that, right? The line between good and evil run, runs between every human heart. Right, that's, a, that's a quote by, I think, Carl Jung. That's anybody has that potential for good or evil. You don't even have to use those words. Malevolence, be- uh, malevolence benevolence. Yeah. And so I think it's, that's the first step that uh, I was listening to a podcast, Jocko Willing podcast that he had of a Auschwitz survivor, mm-hmm. okay? A woman in her 90s. And they talked about the merciless guards and how inhumane they treated them. Well... It didn't start like that, did it? How did it start? Well, I, 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 I was hearing it. I'm, I'm listening and I'm hearing like, okay. So eventually they, they, they bring in these rules. Okay. So Jews now have a curfew. Okay. They have to be home by 6 p.m. Okay. Jews now longer can go, no longer go to the same schools. Okay. And, and oh, now, now you can't have your businesses anymore. We own your businesses. One step at a time. Exactly. It gets closer and closer to malevolence. Yeah. That happen to anybody anywhere
1: yeah, and you don't even know what's happening because you're as it's happening it's that step by step the same thing with my symptoms there you go like i'm i can understand that because i've been through it in the way that i got to a point where it was so bad and i wasn't even realizing literally if you speak to mom she'll she will um explain that when i was going into hospital one of the reasons i got so emotionally beaten about it was the fact that i thought i was just going in to get more prednisone more cortisol medication and when they've gone in and said, "This is how bad you are," you've got these two options, or this is if you make it through, this is your third. I was like, "Where the hell did this come from?" Typically. Not not even knowing, I was so unaware, unconscious because it just became my life. That's the same thing with every person, and I'm I'm not saying this is for everyone listening. I don't want you to think I'm some crazy person that's like, I love bad people. I don't in that way.
0: Oh no, but, that's no.
1: But I yeah. I understand that everyone is doing something for a reason. And that reason yes. is justified in their mind, um, that there is there is good behind it. So and that's, that's when
0: you say people are doing the best they can based on what they know. Exactly,
1: exactly. You're, they're not going out. And in that, that sense, there are people that have psychiatric issues that there are chemical and hormonal imbalances and, and brain imbalances where they are doing the wrong thing because they believe it's going to hurt people. But again, even in those situations where... Um, they might have that neurosis and and things like that going on, that is still in their head. They've justified that this is going to hurt people, so it's the right thing I need to do. So if you went and spoke to them, they would go, yeah, I did the right thing. I was supposed to do that. Everyone else would go, what the, they're batshit crazy. But again, in their mind, it's the right thing to do because it's the wrong thing to do. We all have that going on. And like part of my purpose in life, or my, I wouldn't say purpose now, my journey is to understand that of all people is that and this i said this only uh yesterday to a friend and this this will trigger people in a good way so if anyone actually we're in fucking melbourne this is everyone <laughs> melbourne traffic people are crazy like horns given the bird yelling and screaming and I was driving on the sunny coast probably two or three years ago and this guy cut me off like just came out onto the main motorway from like zero and I had to hit the brakes and I nearly something triggered in me it's obviously an accumulation building and I nearly gave him the horn and bird and yelled out the window and I just stopped and I thought had this this feeling come over me that just transformed me as a person fundamentally and it was What happens if the reason that he pulled out and didn't see me or pulled out and saw me just regardless, nearly caused a a crash, what happens if the reason that he was not in a state of mind that he wasn't aware of what he just did was because his wife that has three kids just said, I want a divorce. And he's at the point where he can't comprehend what's going on in life because he's an emotional mess. And he doesn't know if he wants to live anymore because that's his whole life, that's all he's ever wanted. And then he's on that edge of, do I keep living or do I kill myself? and i've just gone out and i've given him the bird and honked a horn and told him he's a fuckwit apologies to everyone for the language this happens um but if i was and he goes you know like and he's had this situation happen and then i've done this and he goes i can't do anything in right right in life Fuck this all i'm done and i was the person that triggered him to take his life like i'm only the minutest amount but if that minute amount makes a difference to that kind of level of someone's life i never want to try to hurt or do anything like that to someone again and that's i guess where my view changes like i only ever want to do good for people and help people be happy because you never know what that one tiny action can do and there's a saying by gandhi and it's that if you ever think you're too small to make an impact try to sleep with one mosquito i was like
0: oh that's That's gold yeah
1: so that's that's a big part of it and and uh I don't know if you wanted to touch on the, the consciousness and the higher state of mind at Go. all, uh, but it's something that I, I want to get out as readily as I can to is people. Is that
0: is that what the routines and anchors are helping you facilitate? Or is uh, that separate?
1: It's it's. The way I would explain it is the meditation courses are the way to you kind of make growth in your consciousness and your higher states
0: of mind. Connor, can we just, can we just um, frame meditation and mindfulness because there's stigmas around them, stereotypes around them and then now there's like, oh, I can't, I can't meditate. I'm not good at it. Like it's a skill. I mean, in some ways, <laughs> yes, but it, it's really, you can't fail at it. So let's just remove any of the barriers, number one. Um, what was the point of I wanted to bring this up? God damn it. Well, let's just say that it is a state that you can attempt to achieve, Mm -hmm. a state of presentness and awareness that you can achieve at any moment. Mm. You can practice mindfulness and meditation whenever you like. It can be during a flow of a yoga sequence. It can be during, oh, that's what it was, right? We, want, we like to build our body up With weight training mm. Physical activity We like to upgrade our phys- physiology Yeah What about the mind? Exactly Meditation is, is upgrading the mind Is training the mind And that's what I wanted to frame it Because then it, Now we talk to the A-type personalities Who like The, the old Todd Jarrett Hey motherfucker You want to upgrade your mind? Do nothing And sit still Go outside And breathe Yeah That's it
1: Yeah And everyone's like No fuck I can't, I can't do that It's time <laughs> <laughs> That's I used to sit to. I used to have a goal of of meditating and an outcome. I tied my meditation to an outcome, which is the first thing for those that are listening in. Uh, I've fortunate to have gone very deep into meditation over the last six to eight months with a, a bunch of the silent meditation retreats of a of courses, practicing every day, learning from some incredible teachers, and I made the mistake in the beginning of tying meditation to an outcome. So I did it to calm my mind. And I'd sit and do like a 15 minute meditation and I'd get like four or five minutes in and my mind's racing and I'm like, this sucks. I can't calm my mind, I need to be doing shit. And I'd get up and walk out of the meditation. Like this is before I started the courses and this was earlier last year because I was trying to do it to calm myself from obviously with the condition. So that was the first thing is, don't tie an outcome to anything you're doing for mindfulness, just do it to be present. And and I say it as gift yourself To, to people that want to start, I'm like, gift it to yourself. Um, it's not you have to do it you get to do it but it's a gift because the longest relationship you ever have is the one you have with yourself and that links in heavily with the mind because the most per- like the most we ever speak to anyone is ourself and it's an internal dialogue and if you can learn to control the mind you can learn to control that chatter what's going on and so the meditation courses which these of the courses, I won't go too much in depth of the context of them, but basically 10 days, silence, no eye contact. You can only speak with the teacher in your check-ins, vegetarian eating. Um, so you can speak? Yes, you can speak to the teacher in check-ins. They will ask you, how are you going? What are you experiencing? Are you struggling? Is that typical or atypical? Yeah. No, that's that's very typical. Oh. You need to have that. That's daily? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, but what you can do is if you're in more advanced, as you progress through more, like now that I've done a few more courses, you just sit in silence when they look at you and they ask, they basically look and they'll just, just nod, nod and you just nod and that's it. Mm. Um, but uh, during those no exercise, no stretching, no watches, no phones, no laptops, no technology, no activity, nothing. You, literally Shit. you can put your hands behind your back like an old man and walk and that's it. Uh, so you eat, you sleep and you meditate and that's it. Um, there's, there's no other stimulation for a reason. There's no stretching, there's no yoga. There's there's nothing that you can do because anything is discursive. Let's say I wanted to do push-ups. I did in my first course. Can I do push-ups every day? No, why? Well, if you do 25 today, you're gonna to be like, tomorrow I wanna to do 30, that's a thought. That's already gonna manifest in your mind. When you get into these courses, I explain it as like a fart in a room. You have one thought that just starts and you know when a fart spreads through the whole room? That's what happens with one thought. It will That one thought when you've calmed your mind and emptied it over a few days, it takes up your whole mind. Like I had one, one thing that popped up to me in my second course and it was around day six, the next four hours of my meditations, that's all I could, like it was, you know the saying on my mind? As the mosquito. Yeah, oh, the, the saying of like, I've got something on my mind, when you actually clear your mind completely and empty it, that could never be more true. So now I've been able to experience what that saying means. Wow. But the courses take you to a, because they're so in depth and they're so pure, they take you to a place you can't get in the everyday world and this is what i've needed to say to people is you will never ever experience a level of meditation outside of a course like this or being a monk than you could in these it's just not possible because of the stimulation we have the only way you would do it is if you literally left everything and you went not sat in a forest for three weeks
0: you almost did it in uh port douglas, port douglas. unknowingly You're right and this is where i
1: kind of was developing my paramis my qualification so to speak my abilities before I went into the meditation course. I was very fortunate I've picked it up, the, the practice and the progression th- that in that sense quite well because there are things you can do to develop it. Like if you discipline yourself, you, do, uh, you practice mindfulness, gratitude, um, love towards other, those kinds of things, you live a moral life, um, you try to optimize your health, you're developing a higher level foundation or a higher set point to start off with. Um, but they they're the they're the opportunity for you to take yourself to a higher state between each course you're basically maintaining that so when i'm meditating each day now it is nothing like what it's comparative to on a course on a course is just out of this world but you need to keep doing it for at least half an hour to 45 minutes every day to maintain what you've developed before
0: now that's but that's your wait this is meditation
1: yeah this is meditation
0: yeah daily practice of meditation yes now people are going to hear that and they'll yeah. be like oh, i don't have time for that i can't yeah. do that
1: start with 30 seconds perfect and don't I'm glad even you went there. do not sit down and cross your legs and do that because straight away people go there's too much I, and this is i teach mindfulness in our academy now but the big thing is and i challenged i struggled this with this myself in that i went from being the type a like christian Mm-hmm. to being six months on the road, journaling, meditating, and reading. That's all I did for basically six months. I was like, I've gone from one end of the spectrum to the other. How do I actually relate to other humans in what I've what I've gone through and get them to meditate because it's been so powerful for me? But I can't just say to people, hey, go and do a 10-day silent meditation yes. retreat. They're going to be like, fuck off. You're telling
0: chance. them to li- to deadlift 300 kilos off the ground. Exactly. They've never picked up a weight.
1: Exactly. So it's how do we get them to start? And what I say to people is, start with mindfulness not even meditation right. because mindful meditation is is something that they can actually say there's
0: different types of meditation and that's one of them um so how do you practice mindfulness for the the intimidated individual yeah in the day to day
1: uh simple things are to brush your teeth with your other hand and and think about it as you're doing it mindful eating is when you go, before you put the piece of food in your mouth, if you pop it on your fork, assess it. Smell Look it. at it. Yeah, yeah. what's the, the shape of it, okay? Once you put it in your mouth, think about what the texture feels like, what tastes are coming up. That's mindfulness. It's the same thing when you go for a walk and you actually turn your phone off, take off your headphones and just walk. Just, and we did this the other day, mum and I. We did a mindful walk. You, what you do is you pay attention first to the closest sound. So typically it'll be your breath. Then the next closest sound, it'll be your feet in contact. Then typically the next closest sound will be either the movement of your clothes, that kind of rustling sound, or it'll be the birds. From then you go to the cars that are driving past and then it's the hum of the the city around you. And each time you're aware of something, but you're taking your awareness to a different place, which kind of changes your focus and keeps you uh, engaged. Because you know the biggest issue with people is that they try to focus just on one thing for too long, then their mind wanders. And then like, oh shit, I can't do this. But if you then give it the next thing to focus on and the next thing, it's very easy to follow. So mindful walking, uh, mindful breathing is a big one, which most people know that, that's the breath. In the Vipassana Vipassana courses, it's the most difficult and strict type of meditation that is done. It's the pure Buddhist style meditation, the Buddhist monk style meditation, which is anapana, And that's uh, focused solely on the breath. And then that's the first five days. And the next five days is Vipassana, which is about insight and wisdom. So the first five days is Panya, calming the mind. Uh, I I should say, sorry, Samadhi, calming the mind. Panya is uh, morality, living a moral life. Basically, in, in Buddhism, to become enlightened, to become awakened, you need to first live a moral life so that you don't have this guilty conscience, which is because you can't get rid of the guilty conscience once it's in there, unless you obviously go through the process of like, root cause then you go through your samadhi which is your anapana calming the mind and then you go to your vipassana which is focused on insight and wisdom the anapana is is the main thing that i practice in calming the mind and it my first course was four days 10 hours of meditation per day before i got to a calm mind 40 hours straight of meditating with no other distraction before my trash can in my head was actually empty and this is what I say to people when they're like, oh yeah, I've, I've experienced this high state. And I'm like, trust me, not yet. Um, and for people that have done like different breathing methods and different types of meditation and they've potentially experienced like an out of body or they've, they've had these hallucinations, that's the mind just creating an image. And a lot of the time these kind of styles of meditation are bringing and eliciting something in, that's their focus. Like bring, think about loving energy or think about gratitude. And that elicits, the, the mind is thinking about something so yes, you're being mindful and meditating, but you're, you're trying to elicit a feeling or an emotional response, whereas Anapana is nothing. All you wanna do is focus your attention on your breath. There is no other focus. Mm. So what you're actually doing is slowly clearing the mind. You're not trying to elicit a response. You're trying to get rid of the response. So to get to a higher state through Anapana is very, you would say, challenging to achieve. Um, but during my uh, third course, I had an experience that was out of the human understanding. I can't use human words to explain it. All I can say is that, like, imagine the most love, the most happiness, the most joy, the most peace, the most tranquility, the most centered you've ever felt in your entire life. And it's not even comparable. Uh, this lasted for like 10 to 15 minutes. And it's not, I don't i use the terms awakened and enlightened very very um seldom yeah. now because i understand how high they are states this was definitely was not that uh, i don't believe so anyway but it was something that made me realize that and this is getting deeper into the spiritual side of things the consciousness side of things i truly do believe our consciousness our mind is connected in terms of the vibrational energy that we are just in a physical vessel a physical body right now And our consciousness is far greater than that because whatever that was that I experienced, my human physical body was not existent and anything my physical body has ever manifested, my brain connecting with my organs, whatever, the feelings, it wasn't even on that plane. It was a different state. And this is where I understood that the system we are fed in life and what I was before as a person that type A person or that goal-focused person, whatever it was, that's not me anymore. For me now, it's like I know a part of my journey is I want to experience that awakening and that, that enlightenment. And I want to enable other people to get out of the rut or the system that they've been fed into to go down this path because I know it goes beyond anything I've ever experienced. And it was the most incredible thing I could ever imagine and that was from just sitting still with no distractions and just trying to calm the mind
0: yeah man what a story yeah Judy do you mind checking Tom's (laughs) flight and seeing if it's delayed because if it is that would be fantastic (laughs) selfishly for me before you get out of here do you remember the moment like what was the context of how that happened? What triggered that? Like you're walking, you're sitting. That, when that, did that experience occur? That
1: was so in the meditation courses, we sit in the, what they call the Dharma hall, the, the meditation hall, and you sit in there for your 10 hours a day. And it's funny because the first three days of that, this, this third course that I did, the first three days I didn't ask any questions. I didn't want to. I was like, I'm going to be silent this whole course. But I got to the third day and I was really frustrated because I was uh, not making the progress or having the experiences I knew I wanted to. And then I went to the teacher, who's the, the leader around the world, which was remarkable to have had him there. And I said, we actually, he kind of took me under his wing. And I said, this is what's happened. And, and I've been following this advice I was given. He said, who gave you that advice? I said, a very experienced student. He said, there's your issue, it's a student. Now do as I say. And he told me, and I explained what I'd previously experienced on my first two courses. He said, you're doing very, very well. And I try not to attach my ego to it because I know that's like a little, yeah. a danger. Yeah. But in that sense, he was saying that I've, I've progressed and I've advanced quite well compared to any, most other people. And he said, keep doing what you're doing. And when I got that reassurance of what I was doing before this third course, those three days, it was the fourth day the afternoon of the fourth day when I had that experience. We'd spoken just before that and he gave me, I can't remember what it was, but he gave me some other reassurance of like, just keep doing what you're doing, you're on the right path. And I was like, it was just like when he said that to me, I just had this f- level of belief of like, I'm, I'm going to get this, whatever this is, I didn't know. But it was like, everything just settled in my mind. And I went into this, whatever it was, And I could feel it because there are signals that you're calming your mind. There are actual physical signals that we have in our our mind and our body. And I won't say them because if I do, then people chase them and that's a trap. But there are things that came up and they started coming up for me. And I was experiencing them and I was like, okay, don't get, because they are incredibly pleasurable. It's like, uh, imagine there's the thing you want most and it's coming up and you're like, yes, yes, yes. But as soon as you do that and chase it, it disappears. So the challenge is, as it comes up, you need to keep doing what you're doing and give it no attention. Mm. So it's like, the, hot, yeah. oh, you so it's discipline. It. Yeah, and it's and it's actually this process of not giving in to the quick pleasure. Yeah. So as these things were coming up, they were getting stronger and stronger, which means you have more of an urge to like, oh, I wanna feel this. No, don't feel it, keep, keep focused, keep calm. And it was like, you'd almost say like the gate dropped or the the gate, the door opened. And because I would disciplined through that process, it was like once I hit whatever this was, the temptation disappeared and I was just like there. I didn't, the effort was gone and I was just in it. And for the rest of my life, that'll be like, I know whatever I experience tells me there's something far greater and beyond this life that we are currently experiencing in a physical body
0: so you experience this out of body state
1: yeah and i don't say it as like out of body no no because i don't Inner want body. Pe- yeah because i don't want people to think like cuz you know when they say like oh i saw my i saw my body sure that's a manifestation that's them visualizing it in their head they're creating that image a lot of the time you know how i said we can manifest an emotion or okay. whatever it is you know when you've done a breathing technique and then you you're seeing like hallucinating that's like a a lot of the time that's a, a emotional and and hormonal kind of thing coming in together Whereas this, again, is from what I understand different because we haven't manifested anything. All we've actually done is empty the mind. And again, I don't understand that side of it, the difference
0: well enough yet. And I don't know who does, but I want to find them. This is the beautiful thing, so many levels. You found something within yourself that very few people get to experience. Imagine if everybody could experience that one time in their life, how different we would treat each other.
1: Yes. That's, that's my journey. That's my purpose She's now.
0: To, to facilitate that with other people. For other
1: people to find that. And that's, that's why amazing. the Holistic Health Academy, it starts as being able to show people how to optimize their health, but it's a lot of it's through doing things for themselves, that self-love process, being better towards other, morality, teaching them about mindfulness so they start to calm their mind so that eventually I've planted a seed that could be 20 years down the track, but they're ready and they get to have that experience as well because mm-hmm. then I know they're a different person for the rest of their life and whatever is to come so it's it goes a lot deeper than just transforming people on their mindset their training their nutrition their hormone balances like it's got a lot deeper purpose
0: that's the gateway and then you get to that yeah man what a story judy do we have to go we have to (laughs) go okay that's it any other last words or comments, man? I appreciate you very much for having me on. Of course. Uh, anyone that has
1: questions, just reach out. Uh, the Holistic Health Community is a Facebook group mm. that I have. Um, it's literally just type in Holistic Health Community and I'll post in there every couple of days something around mindset, nutrition, training, mindfulness, whatever it is. If you want something, ask and I'll do a video on it. And then obviously then we have the academy out later on which goes deeper. But on socials, it's just Coach Jarrett, uh, J A W R A T or Todd Jarrett on the personal Facebook page. Literally, as I said, like my biggest thing is I want to give loving kindness to everyone. I want to support everyone on their journey. So whatever your goal is, whatever you want to achieve, if I can help in any way, I will. So reach out. If there's anything I can do, I will.
0: It's amazing, man. It's amazing the transformation you've made. It's inspirational. I can't wait. I'm so glad I had you on. I can't wait to see what the future holds, man. You've unlocked a potential that is going to unlock so many more potentials than other people, and that's a beautiful thing. And I wish we could keep talking, but next time you're in Melbourne, let me know. Let's do this again.
1: Absolutely. My pleasure, Alex. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Todd out. TJ? Yeah. We out of here. Woo! Damn. <laughs>